Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. Recording on Thursday, January the 27th, a little bit after 9 a.m. Central Time. I am Rob Howe, joined by my partner, Scott Docterman from The Athletic, who's been busy this week. Uh, we're going to spend the next hour or so breaking down uh, the merits of Hall of Fame candidacy for the Major League Baseball. Um, <laughs> Because that hasn't been discussed enough this week uh, in, in national circles. But uh, I'll, I'll give my brief uh, opinion here. Uh, yeah, once you put Bud Selig in and there are and you're going to try to differentiate between uh, which guys did and didn't take PEDs, uh, there are guys in the Hall of Fame right now who did. And uh, so eliminating uh, the guys that did it and did it the best, <laughs> everybody seems kind of senseless to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who, how many NFL guys in the seventies took steroids? Almost all of them. Yep, um, yeah. You know, when you look at the PED era and I, I covered it a little bit um, in the post glow, I guess, but in the early two thousands and it's just, how do we know that big poppy didn't take them? How do we know that Ken Griffey jr. Didn't take them? I mean, how do we know any of these players that, that have gotten in, didn't and why i mean i think there's some serious evidence that several of them did who were left out but why should they be left out i mean it wasn't a rule at the time it's it's we're passing too much judgment on this um it's it's crazy to me to think that the a museum and an honor uh won't go to the per to six of the top 15 home run hitters of all time the um one of the only pitcher with more than 300 wins won't get there. And he has 354. Um, I, I think lumping Pete Rose with it is a different debate because he broke the Cardinal sin. Now we can discuss whether or not he deserves to be enshrined, um, whatever. But I, I think at this point, it's kind of like if you're baseball, let him in, but, you know, make sure the asterisk is there in some sort of exhibit and, and move on because, Otherwise, you're staining your game more than it's already been stained, which is beyond recognition in some circles. Yeah, and they're already in, you know, a labor dispute right now, which the season may start on time. Baseball can't get out of its own way. But uh, another discussion for another day. Um, yeah. 
hopefully they get back on the field so the Mets can disappoint me again. Um, <laughs> it, it's like the annual rite of passage, uh, another disappointing Mets season around the corner. But uh, let's start with basketball, Scott, being as that's uh, on the forefront today, at least. Um, tonight at 8 o'clock, Carver Hawkeye Arena. Purdue, number six in the country, comes to town. Uh, this is Iowa's chance for a signature win. Um, Iowa does not have a quad one win this season. I believe it's three quad twos, four quad threes, and seven quad fours. Um, Iowa still top 25 in the net, um, but really now is when you start really putting your resume together. Um, and a win against Purdue, like end of February, beginning of March, when we start to see teams that, you know, ESPN's doing a game and they put resumes up from given teams, a win against Purdue is at the, that's the headline. That's, that's what you want. And we've talked about on the podcast, Scott, Iowa needs to win some of these signature games, particularly at home, because it's so hard to do on the road. Right. And uh, Purdue's a difficult opponent in its own right um, for Iowa to beat. It doesn't do it very regularly in basketball. It's just the styles don't add up very well for the Hawkeyes. And But you get them at, at a night game like this at home. And I think, you know, whether or not, I guess, what, the other day it was uh, everybody and their mother reported that there was um, <laughs> uh, 3,500 tickets left. Um, I imagine there'll be, you know, Haven't yeah, I haven't gotten an update on that, but usually once it get we get this close, it doesn't move a whole lot. Yeah, and there'll probably be 800 to 1,000 that probably sell by then. Maybe some yeah. people who went, well, maybe I'll just go there and find out. But but regardless, um, I expect it to be a semi-raucous atmosphere. I think students will go. I mean, you've got the number six team in the country. You've got a team that's, to me, that's capable of going to the Final Four in Purdue that um, that's had Iowa's number. And, and so, in a lot of sports, frankly, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, we can go on that one, too. But, no, I mean, this is an important game, like you said, because Iowa's the type of team that you don't count on road wins against even competition. But when you're playing teams at home, you do get a little bit more juice. And this is one where I think they can benefit from that because when you, when you look at the schedule in totality right now, I mean, I see some wins. I see a lot of wins, actually. I think, you know, you you should sweep Nebraska. You should beat Northwestern at home. You should uh, beat Penn state again, Maryland on the road. You would hope that you win that game, Minnesota at home. Uh, Those are games that can be challenging, but you should win. This is not in that category, but this is one that, as you said, it doesn't really hurt you if you lose, but, man, it can help you out. It's like extra credit, and uh, but it's not going to be easy either. No, not at all. And currently, I think it opened with uh, Purdue, excuse me, as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That's dropped to two in most places uh, with an over-under of 154-ish opened at 158-ish, so that number's dropped a little bit as well. Um, So the guys who make the point spreads, who make the lines, think this is going to be a close one, and there's really no reason to think that it won't be. Um, Sometimes you get those games where it's just, you know, one team comes out, like Indiana and Penn State last night. Indiana just came out and steamrolled them early, and then Penn State made a second-half run when Indiana got bored. But you look around the league, Scott, I mean – Northwestern almost knocked off Michigan last night. Northwestern won at Michigan State. Uh, Rutgers has 
Rutgers has beaten Michigan and Purdue at home and then lost at Minnesota. Um, so that really even, uh, you know, magnifies even more. You got to get a couple of big ones at home. And this Iowa does have, I believe still has Michigan and Michigan State at home. Um, and Michigan, Michigan's starting to play a little bit better. So I think by the time Iowa gets to Michigan, Michigan will be a higher profile uh, opportunity. So, but you just look at this game tonight and it's going to be, you know, the bugaboo for Iowa when it's not played well is rebounding and uh, Purdue rebounds, man. And if you got to play extra possessions or possessions are extended because you can't clear the defensive boards, uh, you're probably not going to win. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really difficult matchup for Iowa in that regard. And, and so you've got to play to your strengths as best as you can, because if it, if there are, you're not going to get, in my opinion, against Purdue, not with the guys that they have, you're, you're not going to get a lot of second chance opportunities and you better try to keep them from doing that. And that, and their best bet may be to be more aggressive on the perimeter to try to get more steals as opposed to rebounding second chance opportunities. Because as you said, um, now they played really hard and really well down the stretch at Mackey arena. I know you were there. Um, that was, but that was kind of an anomaly in some ways, because usually when they play there, they get murdered. And, um, and so in this case, they were able to really, um, play hard. And, and at some point you're kind of like, what is going on with Purdue? <laughs> Cause Iowa didn't even have Keegan Murray at that time. But, but I think for some people thinking that, Oh, well, Keegan Murray's back, that it magically means Iowa's going to win it. Uh, they've got to, they've got to try to neutralize the boards as best as they can. And um, it's going to be about efficiency on the offensive side. And Purdue's defense has always been so good that uh, it, it's really that's the challenge for Iowa. Can it be still patient? Be, you know, be quick, but don't hurry, you know, and on offense. And I think that's really going to be a critical part of this because if they start, if they start getting down a little bit or that they're getting frustrated because Purdue's getting second, third shots a lot of times, and then they start quick shooting the ball, that's a recipe for disaster against this team. They're just going to have to be as patient as they can, but take the opportunities and be aggressive when they're, when they're presented. Yeah, and there was some um, wonder whether or not Jaden Ivey would play. They, he said yesterday that he is going to play. He missed the Northwestern game on Sunday, but uh, likely lottery pick um, yeah. in the lineup for Purdue. And, and Keegan was asked about this on Tuesday, uh, whether he wanted to play Purdue with or without Jaden Ivey, and he wants to play them with, at full strength. And I think that's the competitor. And I think most people feel that way. You want to – because the, the committee looks at that, too. I mean, they look uh-huh. at, hey, Jamie Ivey wasn't in when Iowa beat Purdue. But if you beat Purdue with at full strength, that's an even more impressive win. Um, Rebracha got in foul trouble down there. Um, he can't do that tonight. And we talked about that with him on Tuesday. And he's – I think he's kind of learned a little bit what he can and can't do in terms of defensively because he's at a disadvantage a lot of times in the Big Ten size-wise anyway, so he's got to be a little bit smarter. I think he's kind of figuring that out. He hasn't been in foul trouble as much recently as he was during that stage, which was early December, late November. Um, but he has to stay on the floor tonight. With with Edie and Travion Williams, uh, you need him to be on the floor. And then Fran kind of hinted at this the other day on Tuesday that uh, – 
could see a little bit Josh Agundale and or Ryan, uh, Riley Mulvey tonight. And that makes sense with the size. Those guys may have to, even if it's a, even if it's five minutes, if they can give Iowa yeah. a, a, some good minutes, either one, both of those guys tonight, that could be really important. Yeah, and that's what they did in that first game against them. I mean, especially Agundale, I think he played his best game against uh, the Boilermakers, and uh, and that was really impressive for him. I mean, he played 14 minutes. He was three or four, um, you know, got, got a lot of – got in position, fought. And, yeah, that's going to be really essential in this game because the size, you just can't get away from that. I mean, Edie's 7'4". Um, you know, you have Ferks who's 6'10", and you have Travion Williams who's 6'10", and and that's that's bigger than everybody Iowa <laughs> So, and and they've been this way forever. That's the way uh, Painter builds his team, uh, and they've struggled with that. And that's why um, taking up bad shots, um, as long as they you know maybe if they get long rebounds they'll be okay. But if you're in battling in the paint then you're going to get pushed around. A lot of times Purdue dictates the tempo and there you don't get a lot of calls, which will drive people crazy at home. But it's true because the level of physicality, the, the officiating will, will kind of skew to that. Um, they won't automatically just start calling every foul. And, um, and then when they do, then they tend to go the other direction pretty quick. So I, I think this is, a, this is a game where you need everybody to pitch in. And if that's, you know, hey, we need to get uh, Rebraca out of the game for a couple of minutes to give him a breather. He's getting bounced around. Agundale, go in there, fight. If you foul, that's okay. Get a rebound. Um, is If you foul, make sure he doesn't make the shot. You know, just, you know, keep your, you know, your uh, expectations low, but, but good enough to where, hey, just go in there and play ball, man. You're going to have to battle. You're going to have to be physical. You're going to have to do what it takes. But even stopping one to two to three possessions that you normally wouldn't is a big, big, big deal in a game where I expect to be close too. I think I'm not saying that Iowa's going to win, but I think it's going to be one of those games where inside of the final TV timeout, it's going to be within a possession or two. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier. Um, you can't just – you know, transitive property, Iowa played Purdue close in West Lafayette. So Keegan Murray's coming back. That means Iowa, that you can't do it that way. Uh, but obviously having Keegan Murray in the lineup is a huge boost. Um, I asked him this the other day on Tuesday, just, you know, it seems like teams, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, Scott, the coaches in this league are just really good and they're very good at breaking down film. They're very good about identifying tendencies uh, and they've kind of, adjusted to what Keegan was doing early in the season. And to use the baseball analogy, being as we started this podcast with baseball, a lot of times, you know, pitchers and batters have to adjust to what each other's doing. Keegan now needs to adjust to what defenses are doing against him. And basically what he said the other day is they're clogging the lane. Soon as he gets the ball in an area, you know, mid-range, they're not allowing him to drive to the hoop. They're trying to make him shoot jump shots. And he's good at that. He's fine at that. Um, and he said he's fine deferring to other guys if they're open, if he's getting doubled and finding the open guys. And that's going to be a key tonight is for him to make those decisions, when to go, as Fran says, and when to give it up. And 
tonight will be big because Painter's a great coach and he has a great staff and they're going to do things. They're going to throw things at Keegan that he's going to have to adjust to in real time. It's not stuff that he can probably, some things he can prepare for, but some things he won't be able to prepare for and he's going to have to adjust in game. Yeah, no question. And that's what makes this such a, a challenge. And I think it shows growth and maturity because he may have a, a four of 10 shooting night tonight. But if he can get to the free throw line and make those free throws, then that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that if he only hits four field goals, it's if he's eight to 10 or 11 to 13 or whatever, that's what, what could really pit, you know, change this game. And, and secondly, and I think this is really going to be an important game for Iowa's other scorers. Um, it's been inconsistent. I think this year we can agree to is, and that is, some games, Jordan Bohannon has stepped up. Other ones, he's missed a lot of shots. Um, so, you know, Chris Murray has come off the bench and had great games. And other ones, where are you? Um, you look at, you know, Rebraca at times. I think Joe Toussaint is going to be a really important piece. And he's kind of the enigmatic in some ways because there's some games where you're looking at him and go, wow, um, this guy could be an upper level point guard in the Big Ten. And then, then there are games where I think he either makes too many mistakes um, or he gets on the bench for too long and Fran needs to get him back out on the game. And, and, and that's, you know, that's on Fran and Fran's always had that issue sometimes with guys that, you know, they, he pulls them at times or he forgets about them. And then all of a sudden you look at the box score and you're like, well, where, where were you? Why were you? Oh yeah. I probably should have got him in the game more often. You know, Jared Utah back when he was, uh, when they had like 10 guys, that was always the one that, that way but but I think um but this is a key game for players outside of him and and you know is this a, is this the type of game that a Peyton Sanford could really come off the bench and, and do a really good job and maybe hit a couple of free, uh, big shots from the perimeter they're gonna have to to do something that way because I think three pointers are going to be essential to you know, to, to just loosening up Purdue because if you're trying to run a half court offense against them with Iowa's scheme and, and, the, and their personnel, I, I think that's a losing effort. Yeah, I tried to delicately approach that question with Fran on Tuesday about minutes distribution, and because Sanford didn't play against Penn State, and that kind of popped out to me. Ulis did not play in the second half. Um, yeah. So I was wondering, you know, and, and this is an annual thing, as you mentioned, Scott, he's got a deep roster. He's got a lot of guys that are deserving of minutes. You go through the season, do you tighten that rotation? Do you try to keep it going? Do you play feel as a, you know, is it game to game feel? I think all of those things are in play. Um, but you also put yourself in a position where you have to push the right buttons. You have to know who gives you the best chance on a given night. Um, and it could, like we talked about earlier, there's a good chance you're going to need Josh Gundelay and or Riley Mulvey tonight, whereas you didn't, they didn't play against Penn State. Penn State's a smaller team, doesn't really, I mean, other than Har, 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 um, <laughs> they really don't have a lot of size. So um, it's different each night. But t- tonight, pulling the right, pushing the right buttons and putting the right guys in there at the right times is going to be key in this game. And I think Sanford's an interesting guy because he's a big kid. He's bigger than I think people um, realize, Scott. He's got size to him, and he also has ability to get his shot off 
um, because of that size. And, and tonight with this matchup with Purdue, if you remember that first game against Purdue, Jordan struggled to get his shot off against the longer guards that Purdue has. I'll be interesting to see tonight. We can get probably get a feel early on, probably first four to eight minutes, how likely it is that Jordan's going to be get, be able to get open tonight because you know Painter's going to try to take him out of the game. That's that's just smart coaching. Sure, it is. That's I, I guarantee that their scout starts with with Keegan Murray and and their second one is Jordan Bohannon because they know if Jordan Bohannon gets loose and Painter's I mean Bohannon's been in this league almost as long as Painter has <laughs> you know they, they you know everybody's seen Bohannon several times and they know what he, he's capable of doing but they also know that uh, if they frustrate him that they can make him a, a liability at times too and so that that would be my guess is don't let this guy get a good shot from the perimeter do whatever it takes to, you know, to, to force Keegan Murray to, to take either mid-range shots or just smother him, and then they'll take their chances with everybody else. And, you know, you started talking about minutes and stuff, and, you know, there, there are some players who, who are playing a lot, and, and Fran has to judge whether scoring is more important than the other details of the game. I mean, you know, you look at – and, and the, the elephant in the room is always Connor McCaffrey for that, and – you know, he's the only player in the country that has five or fewer field goals and has played 250 minutes or more. And uh, now he does a lot of other things really well. We know that, um, you know, from his assists and, you know, turnovers and, and stuff like that. But, you know, how essential is that? I think that's an every game situation. You know, do you need that stabilizing force out there that distributes, plays tough defense, is tough, is um, – you know, can do all those other little things without scoring, or is this a game where you're just going to need more ammunition? And uh, I think in some ways that's also a stretch decision as well. But, but I think, you know, the Chris Murray, Connor McCaffrey situation, I think may be determined as to, you know, what happens going forward. Yeah. You've got that, that grouping of, as you said earlier, where is, where, who, where are you getting the rest of your scoring from? beyond mm-hmm. Keegan Murray is it Patrick McCaffrey and Chris you know Chris Murray is Bohannon on on a given night um you know is Tony Perkins feeling it off the bench um they're just it seems very inconsistent yeah. and I don't know that can work I think at times but it's tough for it to work consistently when you're mm-hmm. just wondering where the rest is coming from right um you know last year it was kind of easy for Iowa. I mean, you had Luca Garza and you had Joe Wieskamp. And then, you know, you also had your outside shooters like Bohannon and, and Frederick when he was healthy. And, um, you know, Jack Dungey until he got hurt was, was a really big force. Now you, you don't have any of those except Bohannon. And, and now Keegan Murray was really good coming off the bench, but that was, um, you know, you know, it was more sporadic. I think he deferred more to the other guys. So I think, you know, that's, that's where we're at with this team is now that we've reached the end of January, it, you know, any kind of tinkering is really over. You've got to make sure you grab some consistency and that's in all facets from playing to coaching. And and that's, you know, rotational minutes. Uh, that's, you know, you're going to need guys from time to time, you know, for whatever reason, foul trouble, injury, or, or even opponent, but, for the most part, you've got to keep the core at, you know, a, a good amount of minutes, the same amount of minutes and, and just the rotation healthy and, and strong. And, and so, 
you know, whether it's, you know, you've got some real question marks with that, which is, you know, Aaron Euless, uh, as you said, didn't play in the second half. You know, is he fading out or is he, you know, is that an oops? Um, Joe Toussaint sometimes just disappearing on the bench for a 10 minute interval. And you're like, well, where is this guy? And in Fran, good or bad, sometimes he'll live with a certain lineup down the stretch. If he thinks it's effective or it's effective in a handful of uh, possessions, then he just sticks with it. Sometimes it's for a 10 minute block and, you know, it works a lot of the time and sometimes it doesn't. So I, I think that's, but I don't know that that is going to change much, but you've got to wonder who's going to be out there for those situations. So anyway, it's, uh, all things said, I mean, I think this is a really interesting game, and I think this is a this is a, a game. If Iowa wins and takes care of business, I think it solidifies them as a, as a NCAA tournament team. If they lose, then it doesn't necessarily hurt them, but it forces them to be more perfect against opponents that they should be, and we know that can be a scary proposition in the Big Ten. Yeah, especially those road games against the middle of the pack. Um, yeah, you know, we've seen Northwestern's competitive. Uh, Penn State's been competitive at home. As you said, Maryland's playing a little bit better now. It certainly has the talent. Uh, it's just gone through some, uh, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but, you know, sit, you know, lose your head coach. You try, there's a transitional period. It seems like they're playing better now. Uh, they won at Rutgers the other night. So um, there are no really gimmies other than Nebraska maybe. And then yeah. we've seen those games where we think Iowa should, you know, cruise against Nebraska and they slip up. So you don't even right. count those. So, um, you know, you got Purdue tonight, Monday, uh, you know, a Monday night out at Penn state, which is kind of a weird time. And mm-hmm. as you know, a goofy trip. Um, yeah. And then, and then uh-huh. Ohio state on the road next week. So really important stretch here with these next three, we say that every week and it is, I was four and four in the league right now. And you just you you're kind of waiting for Iowa to maybe make a move, or is it just going to go you know five hundred one game above five hundred one game below and just keep going like that? And is and there's a chance that happened. I think coming into the season for me, I thought mm-hmm. this would be a bubble team. Yeah. Um, and like you said, if they win tonight, you're on. You move yourself to the right side of the bubble. You lose tonight. I don't know if you're on the wrong side, but you're kind of still just teetering on that bubble. I'm going to give it something out of room for error because of its non-conference schedule. Uh, when they're playing Portland State and Southeastern Louisiana and, and my alma mater and what have you, that means they have to win games like this just to kind of get rid of that stigma or that, that issue. And and uh, if you beat a number six Purdue, then, then who you played in the non-conference isn't going to matter a whole lot if you have a, a good enough resume. But as you said, you know, you, you, you lose this game hard fought 79-75 tonight. Okay. That means you're going to have to win at Penn State or at Maryland or, you know, at Michigan and, and or at one of those three games. You're going to have to take, you know, uh, you're going to have to take care of business no let up at all when you're playing Minnesota and Nebraska and Michigan and Northwestern at home. And every now and then in this league, and not to sound like Fran, but it's true when you have these road games or these teams, every team is capable of playing well, even Nebraska once in a while. 
So, you know, you have these games that um, sometimes you're off. Sometimes you're just not shooting well. And at Penn State is a great example because I've seen so many games there where it's like there's like four or 5,000 people. It's a gigantic arena. It's like the – it's a blue version of the United Center. Yep. And you miss, and they're physical, and it's tough. And then all of a sudden you're like – man, it's four minutes to go and it's 60 to 58 and it feels like we're the better team, but we just can't get past them. And then you, then it's when you're that close in the, in the final few minutes, then it's coin flip time. And, and, uh, and that's why winning a game like this would um, eliminate the, the necessity for winning a road game. Cause we know Iowa fans are, are big on the, you know, we're with you when you win or, or when you win close. And, uh, you know, you, they don't really, there's a lot, there's a segment that doesn't quite get the whole lose on the road is, is something that's part of the league structure. But that said, um, the, if you win tonight, it would cover up any kind of future warts. And I assume there'll be at least one the rest of the way. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Got to get a, you know, you look at it the way the schedule broke down this year. Um, no Wisconsin at home, so you don't have that opportunity. Already lost to Illinois at home, so that's gone. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've got Purdue tonight. You've got um, you've got Michigan still coming in, which isn't ranked right now, but again, I think will be a, a more higher profile win by the time they do get here. And then Michigan State, which you can't count on that. You got to you got to get at least one of those at right. home. Yeah. And I mean, you know, but Hunter Dickinson is is going to be a tough, tough, tough matchup for yep. anybody on this team. You know, no matter how good or bad Michigan is, and that yeah, they've limped. They haven't played well, but they, they've got capable athletes, and and sometimes good athletes play well at times, even if they are not having a great year. Um, and uh, as you said, Michigan State, they're 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 always kind of lingering out there for the Hawkeyes. Now they they played really well against the Spartans last year, no question, but. That doesn't mean every other year they're not. And you know that, I mean, what, they had the worst loss at, at the Breslin Center against uh, Iowa or get in, in Izzo's career, if I want to say, uh, last year. So now, granted, they don't go back there, but I think you can count on Izzo using punching that button for motivation. <laughs> so um, I, I think that's going to be a, a big factor, you know, back here in, uh, in the middle of February. No doubt. And uh, if you're in the area tonight or so inclined, a little bit warmer here than it's been (laughs) this week. So uh, get over the game, get over and uh, give Iowa the support it needs at home. That's a big, you know, you look at the road environments and uh, they're tough to play in. You got to make it tough on opponents when they come in here. So um, I'll be over there tonight. Scott will be over there tonight. You can say hi to us and wave. I can take your picture. Um, you can have, get a picture with Scott. Um, all that stuff is on the as table. long as you take. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do we want to go next? Let's uh, let's hit. Um, I'll say I want to save the football till till the end because I think that'll be more of a longer discussion here. Penn State, Iowa tomorrow night. Scott at Carver Hawkeye Arena, one versus two, sold out. Big Ten Network, eight o'clock Central. Um, this should be fun. These are uh, when you get Penn State in town. Um, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of um, a lot of uh, intriguing matchups with these lineups. So uh, 
Yeah, it's cool. It's one everybody's lo- looking forward to. So it's it's fun when it finally gets here. It always is. Um, this is the preeminent rivalry in college wrestling these days, and it has been now for a close for a little over a decade when Gail Sanderson left Iowa State to go to, to Penn State because, um, you know, Iowa has some historic ones, but this is prominent. And these are the two teams that are going to challenge for the national title. Uh, and how they match up against one another in this duel will determine in a lot of cases who's going to win, um, you know, in March. And that's where they're all geared towards. And, and uh, you know, this what, what's going to be interesting to me is, with Spencer Lee out, that loses a lot of guarantees. And uh, so, but Drake Ayala is, is a very talented true freshman from Fort Dodge and he's lost, but he's also fought and he's also won some matches that you could tell that he's learning and gaining. This atmosphere will be off the charts for him and for the rest of the team for that matter. So how he performs and sets the tone, whether he's the, the first match or in the middle part of the duel or whatever, um, I think it's going to be real pivotal to, to the outcome. And then, you know, we saw this uh, against Ohio State. I mean, Iowa pretty much dominated the duel except in the very close matches. And I guarantee that some of those play, you know, people like Alex Marinelli are just grinding because they don't want that to happen again. So I think that's uh, that's going to be, you know, part of what's going to make this a really intriguing meet. Um, dual uh, sold out, as you said. I, I checked one of the, I think it was StubHub, and they're the cheapest tickets. There were two of them for eighty bucks. The rest of them were hundred plus for per ticket uh, for this duel. So I think this is going to be just off the charts. Yeah, no question. And you mentioned Ayala. Um, he gets Drew Hildebrand, who's ranked seventh. Um, that's a winnable match for for Drake, and that could be a key to, tomorrow night in that in that duel if Drake can get that win. Because after that, you've got you know Bravo Young against DeSanto. Um, mm-hmm. You got Ironman against Nick Lee. I mean, hold your asses on those matches. Yeah. Those are going to be battles, man. And then you just go down the list. I mean, as you mentioned, Marinelli. Uh, Kemmerer is going to want revenge after last year. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be some matches and sh- or some duels. You can kind of catch your breath, like at certain weights tomorrow night's not going to be that case at all. It's going to be intense from start to finish. Yeah. I mean, it, we might actually get a, a brands brands on uh <laughs> Sanderson fight at some point. No, no, <laughs> no I mean, it, yeah, th- this is a pre- prelude to what we're going to see on Friday night and Saturday night out in, uh, in, at the national tournament this year. I mean, just because how these matches, they, they'll determine seating. They'll determine seating at the Big Tens. They'll ter- determine seating at the Nationals. And a lot of cases who uh, I would not be surprised to see three or four of these um, on the final Saturday night again. And, and it, it'll have a major impact on who takes on the team trophy. And as we know, that's the ultimate goal for both of these programs. And, um, you know, what was it a couple of years ago? I think Kemmerer beat Hall, I'm going to say. And yeah. it was maybe the loudest moment I've ever heard in Carver Hawkeye arena. In fact, I know talking to Dan Gable afterwards, me and a couple other reporters. And, he, you know, he said, I think it was the, it was the dual, between Iowa, Iowa State, and there was a pin. I think it was Brooks Simpson, maybe. 
way back when. And he said, that's the only one that can compare to it. And, uh, and so if you're talking, you know, that, that kind of elation from a wrestling crowd, which is a little bit different than a basketball crowd, you know, that you've got some serious stuff going on. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Kemmerer gets Starachi. Uh, that will be a, a war as well. Um, yeah, like I was saying, it's, there is no, there aren't any, you're not looking at any of these individual matchups in a duel and saying, ah, that's lopsided. I mean, there are some that guys are a little bit more favored than others, but a lot of these are, are really going to be, you know, hotly contested. Um, yeah. So. I, unlike the basketball game tonight where I said, you know, if you're in the area, um, go on over and grab some tickets. Uh, you don't have that option tomorrow night, as Scott said. You can, you know, get the get the credit card out on StubHub. I'm sure there'll be people around the arena uh, glad to take your money if you want to get in. But uh, it'll be one of those that I think um, if you're in the wrestling community and you're a wrestling fan, you're going to want to say, I was at that. I was at that duel. I was at Carver Hawkeye on, you know, end of January, 2022 for the Penn state Iowa duel. Right. And uh, cause there's going to be, there's going to be a match or two one way or the other. And I would not want to predict it, but it's going to come down to the last couple of seconds as to whether it's a, you know, you're hearing two or you're, you know, seeing, you know, hands waving off and it's going to be three to two one way or the other, whether you get it or you don't. And it's going to be just a fever pitch. And, you know, as, as great as the Iowa Penn State football game was, and that was in the same boat and, and there are more people there and more people watched it on TV. This one is just as for this sport is the, the pinnacle of it. And, uh, and I'm anxious to watch the, the documentary on BTN on uh, the Brands Brothers afterwards because they are, Oh, you know, <laughs> as we know, there there aren't any more unique individuals in sports than than Tom and Terry Brands. For sure, this is uh, this is Alabama Georgia, pretty much. If you want to make a comparison, this is Absolutely. Alabama and Georgia. Um, and uh, look forward to that tomorrow night. Um, women's basketball, Scott. You know, kind of we've talked about this on the podcast. Iowa kind of, you know. COVID within its program, COVID that canceled games because it's in other people's programs, opponents that I was going to play Indiana uh, game, uh, top 10 Indiana game. Uh, Sunday was was postponed and Illinois took its place. The women seem to have, you know, finally settled in and now have won six in a row and have a huge game tomorrow night in Evanston against the Northwestern team that came in here and uh, got the win against Iowa. Iowa looking for payback there. And this is a this is a biggie in terms of the the Big Ten standings and 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 the race. If Iowa can get this one tomorrow night, uh, it, it wipes out the loss at home to Northwestern and moves them, I believe, to seven and one in the league. I may mm-hmm. have that off. They may be. I think they're six or seven and one in, right now. So this is a huge game tomorrow night. It is, and uh, as you said. Um, you know, I remember when they played and, and that was a, that was a big loss. I thought at the time for Iowa, because they were at that kind of critical juncture. They're seven and one by the way right now. So, um, you know, they're there. That was a critical juncture that they lost at home. And, and since then they've won what six straight, I want to say. Yeah. So, 
right now they're just barely outside the lead and, and they didn't play Indiana uh, yet, but they've had a, a lot of games recently. Caitlin Clark is, you know, she set the, the big 10 record for assists in a game against Penn state the other day with 17. Um, they're really moving forward in the right direction. And, and, uh, and I'm sure that, you know, these games, sometimes they have different forms of motivation. And this is certainly one of them that I think you'll see, uh, you know, an Iowa team that recalls that loss and how they played and Northwestern's lost three straight. So, um, you know, they, they're kind of reeling and they're going to try to probably draw on that experience. And, but it's going to come down to Iowa executing on offense and, and putting up some barriers at, at times on defense. And I, I think Iowa is capable certainly of doing that. And, and they're, they're really, ga- you know, gathering steam at the right time. And I, I like the way they're headed. And, and so this is, uh, this is pivotal because they, they actually are significantly in the Big Ten race right now. And, uh, you know, going there and then Monday night, you know, having a home one against uh, Ohio State. I mean, this is, you know, they've got some, they've got some big games coming up. You know, Ohio State's seven and two. They're just right behind him. Yeah, they're jumped up. They're bumbled up there. And I think everybody kind of expected Maryland to run away with this thing. Uh, It has not had uh, the season expected, but obviously it's Maryland and Mm -hmm. it can catch fire at any time. But six and oh for Indiana, eight and one for Michigan, seven one for Iowa, seven and two for Ohio State, and then Maryland at five and three. So as we, as we near the turn uh, to, you know, to get to 10 games and back the other way, uh, I was going to have some biggies here. Um, hasn't played Indiana or Michigan or Ohio State or Maryland yet. So, yeah. so a lot of big games ahead. Um, so starts tomorrow night trying to get that, you know, trying to get that road win against uh, Northwestern to kind of cancel out the home loss against yeah. Northwestern. So sure. let's flip over to some football, Scott. Um, we'll hit Iowa first and then go uh, – macro after that in terms of the big 10 you've done a lot of work on that this week but uh we have uh we have an offer out to we've (laughs) we've talked about uh defensive you know adding potentially linemen in this class hunter norzad uh transfer from cornell will be in here this weekend uh for a visit um again we've mentioned this before on the podcast he is a, a uh, summer enrollee. He's finishing up his schooling at Cornell this semester uh, and won't enroll until May or June uh, or won't arrive at his, you know, the next school until May or June. Um, another guy, they offered defensive lineman Cam Butler, defensive end from Miami of Ohio, first team all-conference in the MAC. Uh, this looks like a good fit. This looks like a Jack Heflin-type fit for Iowa. Uh, he's got offers. Uh, I looked at these last night, but let me bring them up again. He's got other, he's got Virginia, Ole Miss, Penn state. So again, the, the competition is stiff, but you know, it's a, uh, it's a seller's market. The guys in the portal, the really good guys are going to get this type of attention. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Iowa can get him in on a visit. Um, and, um, kind of has a, you know, once you get them on campus, you kind of give them the sell and you're in the picture, but the, the battle is getting them here. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, those two in particular um, are, 
are very are fascinating because they're more whole pluggers than than you know just absolute necessities and unless they you know go after a quarterback at some point. But um, with Cam Butler, he had a terrific year at Miami of Ohio. They were a decent MAC team. He was a first team All MAC. That is the natural for Iowa. That's what they like. They like going to smaller schools, bringing them up, and then elevating them on the on the field. And out of the out of the front seven, certainly the only guy that they're losing is Zach Van Valkenburg. And they have a lot of very young, capable players behind him. It's just a wonder if they actually can step right in and be that guy um, that Van Volkberg was because he was the most consistent lineman last year. Um, if you're Cam Butler and you saw how good Iowa's defense was, and if, if Kelvin Bell, who I think is as good as any recruiter they have on staff, can walk up and say, you know, hey, all we need is, is a pass rusher off the edge, and that could be you. You know, you're going you're gonna to play the run. You know, we, we, we mandate that, but you can come off and, and – get a lot of good snaps on third down. We've got a great opportunity here for you. And he looks at it objectively. I mean, Iowa is the place to be. And um, now for Hunter Norzad, what, where would he play? What position? Well, he's played a ball. And I think in, in Iowa's case, it, it would almost be what, af- what happens after the spring. You know, did Mike Myslinski come in and solidify the center position vacated by uh, Tyler Linderbaum. If not, that might be an op- option for him. If he did, uh, if he did solidify it, then maybe it's guard and maybe it's somewhere else, you know? So I think that those opportunities are there. And then I think he needs to, um, you know, the sell is, Hey, we didn't run the ball very well and we need people and you could step right in the way Coy Pronk did um, before he got hurt. Jack Heflin on the defensive side. There's a place for you if you can play, if you can make it. And we've got we we didn't play nearly as well as we needed to last year. I think Norzad would be, as you said, his versatility. You have him and Cody Ince, two guys that are very versatile. Then you can kind of fit the pieces that they can wherever the I don't want maybe this is the wrong way to put it. Wherever it looks like the weakest link is, you can kind of move those guys around to uh, to fill in those spots. And I think that's a good you know the NFL does that all the time. They like. You know, the 53-man roster, you have to have guys that can play multiple positions on the offensive line. Uh, having that at the college level is a luxury, and it would be a nice one for Iowa to, to um, have in 2022. Absolutely. And, and I think that's where the spring comes in because they've got, a lot of, they've got a lot of young talent, and then they've got some talent that we're not sure how they're going to, to where they'll end up. You know, look at Connor Colby. He started pretty much all year at guard. He projects to a tackle, but is he ready to make that move? If he is, then that's where he'll end up. If he's not, then, well, is he still a guard? And maybe they need somebody more solid on, at right tackle, and maybe that's where Norzad ends up. If if not, um, if, hey, you know, Connor Colby can make that move, we're just really uncertain at tackle and or at guard. And let's say it's um, you're not sure about Justin Britt's health or you're not sure about – whether uh, Bo Stevens is ready for that, or you know, and and maybe they are, maybe maybe they're they're great, um, but maybe they're not, and so that's maybe where he fits in. And and I, I think it, it's a it's a really strong opportunity for Iowa with him. And then I think he also 
has to find a comfort level there and, and recognize that if he comes to Iowa and plays well, he's got an opportunity to the next level. Um, if this, but in Iowa, I think we'll provide him with an opportunity. I don't think they'll come in and say, Hey man, we're, we're set. <laughs> you know, don't worry about us. I think yeah. that they'll, they'll say you compete, man. If you're the best guy, you're going to get the job. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, when we see, um, how that shakes out this weekend, um, this is the last of his visits, I believe, because the dead period starts on Monday. Um, his finalists, just to remind people, Virginia Tech, Auburn, Iowa, Illinois, Penn State. So, again, tough competition there, but Iowa can sell its history on the offensive line uh, as, well, as well as anybody in that group, just like it can on the defensive line with Cam Butler, who, interestingly enough, Scott, um, I guess he would be in the same grade as C.J. Frederick. He went to Covington Catholic. <laughs> I saw that. So um, two times second team All-Mac in 19 and 20. Um, and then uh, first team this year, I uh, was looking at his stats, pretty consistent with tackles for losses and sacks. Uh, had his most sacks this past season with six, 10 tackles for loss. Uh, kind of a... Um, Kind of a, an athletic edge type that I think would be pretty welcomed here. 6'3", 250 um, would be a nice addition. Um, and, again, he's, the competition is going to be stiff for these guys, but a uh, lot to sell for Iowa. And uh, I think he, he fits in well um, and maybe helps in that transition from, you know, Van Valkenburg to some of those young – maybe, a, you know, not having to throw – uh, Lucas Van Ness in their full time, maybe more of a rotation or figuring out those pieces with some of those younger guys gives them an extra year to kind of develop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think they've got a really deep and rich um, rotation set there that's going to be very potent. Um, you know, it, what does this do for, for Joe Evans? You know, is he not going to start? I think John Wagner is, is kind of solidified on the, on the left side. Um, you know, what, what kind of, uh, you know, is, is that his best role or is it inside? Um, Logan Lee, I thought played really well. Um, I thought he really is an ascending player, an NFL caliber player at, at some point. Um, Noah Shannon was, was solid all year. I think Lucas Van Ness shows, huge upside and probably more on the outside. He would be the guy that if Butler didn't decide not to come, that I would say, well, you know, that, that, uh, that it's going to be between him and Joe Evans there, but you know, Deontay Craig, and then you, you know, YA black, and then you've got guys that uh, are coming off injuries, you know, Ethan Herkett, they like a lot, Logan Jones. And um, so I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but I mean, they're really deep and they've got a lot of pop, you know, really good, players there but this is probably that one okay we've got a lot of really good young players but we we need just one more piece right now this year and if he can plug in and play two-thirds of the real snaps and the rest of them rotate off him I mean, this front seven could be really freaking good and butler's got two years of eligibility too which is a nice bonus. You get them two years instead of, you know, just the one. So, um, yeah. And the offensive line, as you talked about, you got, you know, there are a lot of bodies there too, from, you know, uh, David Koff, Ellsbury, uh, Josh Volk, um, 
you know, Mislinsky, a lot of guys that we haven't seen much of or any of uh, that really huge spring for those guys. Oh yeah. And it's, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm sure for them to watch. Bo um, Stevens. I forgot him too. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of guys there. Justin Britt we know about, but he's another guy. That's a big spring. A lot of big spring for the guys in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Right. I mean, you look at the guys who played tackle last year, Mason Richmond, I think is, you know, he's, he was only a redshirt freshman. Yeah. So he, he's got, you know, is he going to be a left tackle or is that just more of a necessity? And he's got better skills suited to be a, a guard, an interior guy. Um, you know, Tyler Ellsbury, it's kind of his move. Jo- Josh Volk, as you said, um, you know, the young guys like, like David Koff and Stevens and Connor Colby played a lot, you know, and, and he's going to play somewhere. But but then the older guys, uh, Jack Plum and and uh, Nick DeYoung, they've got to fight off all those guys, and they've got to also get better because their season was not very good, frankly, and I think they know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's it, it's going to be a battle, and and I know when I did my depth chart and I wrote about offensive line, I said that battle starts the first day of workouts because they're going to have to push each other and themselves at a really high level because I, I think that's pretty much it. I think it's a clean chalkboard when it comes to this. I think it's like last year was last year. None of you have earned anything here. I mean, there's no Tyler Linderbaum. Now, Cody Ant's healthy, Connor Colby healthy, and probably Mason Richmond are probably the three that I put at the top of the list. And then uh, after that, um, it's, it's kind of plug and play. You know, it's, it's weird. You know, the football news never stops. And, and since we've been talking, um, Ben Roethlisberger retired and uh, the Bears hired a football coach. So Matt Eberflus from the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I was wondering if Caldwell, Caldwell will get that job. Yeah, uh, I don't get it with him. Um, I know everybody has their own um, you know, criteria and what they're looking for and it's a copycat league. Uh, we saw, you know, the Packers offensive coordinator hired by the Broncos. Um, you know, everybody's off the, the, you know, the Shanahan and all these trees where guys come off of. And it just seems like, well, I'm going to do with this, you know, I'm going to do get the hot young offensive mind. And, and, you know, that seems to be a trend now. Um, and that's how the Bears ended up with its previous coach. Yeah. So. We'll see what happens, but remember watching Roethlisberger uh, cover him for two seasons against Iowa, two or two different games against Iowa, and uh, what a career! What a yeah. what a career! Yeah, I mean, he goes down as I, I would say one of the top fifteen quarterbacks of all time, a first ballot Hall of Famer, about three Super Bowls, two wins, um, and then of course his Iowa game. Everybody here kind of. Yay, we, you know, they had a <laughs> one hell of a game against them. And, you know, and I was thinking about him in particular this week, uh, the last weekend, watching Josh Allen play. And, um, you know, we both have watched football for a long, long time. And, and I probably studied it way too often, especially at the pro level. That was the greatest game I've ever seen, um, the Chiefs and the Bills. And, and the way Josh Allen twice kind of left them, let them down the field and both got let down both times. 
uh, it reminded me of the game in 2017 when he did that against Iowa. And I went back through my tweets. I'm going, oh, my God, what did I write? <laughs> I wrote a lot of good things about him and other fans did not. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think both of them are, are fantastic. And I, I think Jim Caldwell will get something. I mean, there's there's there are nine openings. He's interviewed for quite a few. Um, the Bears, it came down between him and Eberflus and, they just felt more comfortable with Eberflus, who I guess is uh, he's in Indianapolis, and you know he, he impressed a lot of people. I hope Jim gets another shot. He he's this happens to a lot of coaches where they're just the victim of bad circumstances. I mean, he was at Indianapolis after Dungy, and then Peyton Manning got hurt his final year, and they just plummeted. You know, suck for luck, and um, you know at that point they just they got rid of him and Bill Polian, and and then he went to Detroit, and he actually had a winning record as a head coach there. And, uh, they, they hired that, um, guy who worked with Belichick and you know how they, that works out and decided he wanted his own coach, even though the lions went nine and seven and then hired Matt Patricia, who will, to me, will go down as one of the 10 worst hires maybe in the last 10 years and, uh, destroyed everything that, that, you know, Caldwell built and Caldwell built a nice team there. I thought, um, for Detroit, and so hopefully somebody uh, takes that opportunity in, in a Minnesota or a, a Jacksonville or somebody like that really takes that uh, and, and runs with it. I think he, I think he deserves another chance in this league. And, and I think it'd be fair if he did. Yeah. You see how a lot of, like Scott said, a lot of openings still to fill there. Um, I talked about going over our depth charts before the podcast, Scott, but we're probably an hour in let's go. If we, if we'll see how long this the discuss the macro discussion takes, and we can table the the depth charts to next week because we're kind of getting into that uh, that uh, you know slow time of year for uh, football. At least we think it is. Who knows? You never know what's yeah. going to drop between now and next Thursday. But uh, sure. let's talk more about the stuff that you're working on this week. Um, you uh, had talked to, to Gary Barta who talked about the doing away with uh, it, it's basically I guess it centers around the alliance and what we kind of was kind of touched on when the alliance was formed but it was kind of just out there kind of just a, a thought now it seems like we're getting more um, it's solidifying more what this is going to look like so I'll let you take it from there because I, uh, I am not an expert at all in this field. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of different factors involved, but they all matter. And first of all, when you, when you look at the Big Ten, um, the East versus West discussion has gathered steam. And, and really what happened to Iowa against Michigan really, um, you know, turns that up quite a bit. Um, the East has won all eight um, championship games against the West. So there is a thought that the West is inferior to the East, that it's just too tilted too heavily and that divisional play needs to be adjusted, um, to reflect that. And uh, the loudest voice has been Penn State because they've been, you know, second place in the beauty contest a number of times. Shocking. James Franklin complaining about something, about yeah, something he yeah. sees to be inequitable. Right. And now the funny part is, and I pointed this out to him and he didn't like it. And that is that the West teams um, or the East teams lead the West teams in crossover games, 77 to 70. 
over that eight year period. So that's not really inequitable. That's the average of maybe one extra win per year. And, um, and it's 11 to 10 at that. And then you look at, well, Ohio State is the reason why that it's so inequitable because Ohio State is 18 and two in crossover games and is five and zero in championship games. So you remove Ohio State and everybody else is everybody else. I mean, it doesn't matter where you live, but, um, but there is some validity to that, that maybe it does need to be shaken up, that maybe the second best team in the East is better than the best team in the West. And so therefore, maybe divisional play needs to be eliminated altogether. Uh, we saw that a little bit with the pandemic when the uh, ACC did that, that they just said no divisions. And you have to apply for a waiver for that to have a championship game. But I don't think the Big Ten would have any problems getting a waiver to do that yeah. per- permanently because uh, the Big 12 did. Uh, and so um, when it comes to how that works with the schedule is, as we saw just a couple weeks ago, the Big Ten schedule uh, needs to be adjusted every year because of the COVID year where six different sites were changed um, to better accommodate. In a lot of cases, it was rivalry games. Um, Nebraska, for instance, was playing Wisconsin and Iowa at home the same year and then going on the road the same year. Michigan and Michigan State were playing each other and Ohio State at home or away every year. And and if you're trying to sell tickets and certainly premium seats, you want to count on that every other year. So they adjusted that during the COVID year. It made sense. There were no fans. You know, it was just mainly the difference between a flight or a bus trip versus, uh, you know, a crazy atmosphere. So they've had to adjust that the last two years. 2023 is the confluence of they got to do that again, first of all. There's heavy discussion about the divisional alignment. Media rights agreements are up after this year. And uh, and then there's the alliance and the discussion of whether or not they want to play these games against the ACC and Pac-12 teams and, uh, and play um, eight league games and, you know, one or two, not both, but one or two alliance games every year for these teams. So you've got all those factors at work. So what the Big Ten is doing, the administrators and the ADs, is trying to figure out what's the best path. And then the fifth angle, and probably the biggest one of all, is college football playoff. Will there be a 12-team playoff? Will it remain at four? Will it go to eight in, you know, in a few years? So they want to make sure that they put their teams in the most advantageous situation because if you're – Let's say you're Ohio State. You already play a marquee, you know, and you've got it scheduled out, a marquee non-conference opponent. And then you're taking off a second, another Big Ten team, but then you're picking up a Clemson in a four-team playoff, and you're playing uh, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin or Iowa. Um, That's a hell of a lot to ask to try to go – and lose one game or less because we've seen it that in the playoff era, no team with two or fewer losses has actually made the playoff. So you wouldn't be rewarded for that kind of schedule. So they're trying to sort this all out. My expectation, what I think and what I've heard and talked to not only with Gary, but other ones is that the college football playoff, if it goes to 12, I think we all accept, expect that to happen. It's just a matter of ironing out those differences. Then, then uh, playing multiple non-conference games won't affect you at all because if you win the Big Ten and you're Ohio State, chances are you're going to get one of those buys. So, okay, well, those are, those are important. 
the but the question about the nine versus eight is not Clemson, Ohio State, or Michigan, USC, or, or Penn State versus Oregon, or, or you know whatever. It's is it more valuable for Iowa to play a third crossover game against Michigan State, or play Virginia or NC State or Boston College? Which one matters more? Is it more important for them? What about um, you know? Then you start looking lower level. It's it's kind of like interleague baseball uh, because. For every Yankees Dodgers um, crossover or Mets Red Sox, <laughs> you've got uh, Padres Rays, and uh, it's like, well, that's a really matter. So they're kind of sorting through all that. And then the divisional debate, and this is what we I wrote about significantly and has taken up most traction is if you remove divisions, then the best way to do it is go to eight games. Everybody pick three rivals per se which for Iowa isn't hard but for Maryland and Rutgers it's hard and teams don't want to necessarily consider them rivals um and then rotate the other 10 teams two years on two years off that's an easy way to make this work but um a lot of Iowa fans have wondered well this must mean we're going to get rid of Iowa State and it doesn't mean that at all I mean because Kentucky and or Louisville in the ACC plays Kentucky every year. You have um, Georgia Tech playing Georgia. You have South Carolina, Clemson, and you have Florida State, Florida. Those games aren't going to get wiped out because of the alliance. So Iowa, Iowa State wouldn't either. It's just, um, you know, and they have a contract through 2025. I don't think that'll be expired. So uh, it, what it comes down to for the Hawkeyes is if they remove divisions, if they remove, uh, if they go to eight games, they'll basically have three permanent rivals every year and then cycle through everybody else and have the opportunity to play one Alliance game a year and uh, and probably still Iowa State at least through the next four years and, and probably beyond that. Yeah, um, I guess it gets a little bit tricky for Iowa when you're trying to pick those rivals because you're going to leave one out, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the old rivalry of Illinois, which really hasn't been that good recently, um, or Northwestern, which mm-hmm. has been good. But it, is it something you want to protect? I don't know. I mean, obviously the naturals are Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska. Um but it, but it would kind of suck to lose Northwestern. Illinois a little bit, if Billima gets them going, then, yeah. it, then it's going to leave a hole there. But imperfect system. It's going to be imperfect, and, and you're probably going to have that for a lot of teams. Not Maryland and Rutgers, but teams yeah. that have actually have a history in the league. It's, it's really interesting because I did the exercise for every team. You know, not just a myopic view of Iowa, but um, I, I think the four teams in this part of the world, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska, all will play each other. The one that could be a question mark is Wisconsin, Nebraska. I think Nebraska definitely would want to play Wisconsin, but I don't, I don't know. That, I mean, Wisconsin's only two hours away from Northwestern. They've played 103 times. So do they want to punt on that? Iowa Northwestern is a great series and it's, it's in the Chicago land. So it's in a prime market. Do you want to play them in Chicago once every four years or every other year? Like they do now. I mean, that's, that's tough for Iowa, but, but then if you're Nebraska, 
you know, you don't have a lot of tradition in this league either. And you know, yeah, you're, you want to play Iowa because you made that a trophy game. It's Black Friday. It's become a somewhat of a tradition. Then you start to look at the other teams. Um, and that's where it gets tricky. Um, Penn State. Uh, Penn State considers probably Ohio State its marquee game. Ohio State considers Michigan. Now, they could probably all play that. But then the Eastern teams like Maryland Rutgers would probably want to play Penn State every year. But would Penn State want to play them every year? Or they do have the the, <laughs> the land-grant trophy with Michigan State. Is But is that worth preserving? Well, TV ratings say it is because TV ratings are really good for that. Um, you know, and then what about the mid-level series? Like an Indiana, Michigan State, they play for the brass platoon. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, what about Michigan, Penn State? Could you give Michigan every year, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State, if you're doing it in this system? That's kind of unfair. And then Maryland and Rutgers, you know, are, are you going to give them, if you're the Big Ten, do you give them, okay, the leftovers, all right, one of you gets Illinois, one of you gets Indiana? Or is it like, you know, hey, you're in key East Coast markets, We'd like to have our send our big boys out there every other year, you know, like an Ohio State to Maryland and a Michigan to Rutgers. And so there's a lot in play here um, if you do that. But as you said, there's some pain attached to the old school Big Ten teams like in Iowa or, you know, Minnesota plays for the old Little Brown Jug with Michigan. That's not in the top three for the Michigan Wolverines. And it's probably not, you know, worth preserving or the Illibuck between Illinois and, and, and Ohio State but they're all going to cause a little bit of pain. But the benefit of it is, and, you know, this is the first time Iowa's gone to Ohio State since 2013 this year. This will ensure that every student athlete who's there for four years will play at every location in that four-year block. And that's something to really think about when you're looking at the league as a whole. Yeah, and that works in recruiting as well. You sell that on the recruiting trail. Hey, you're going to get to play – you know, in the big house, you're going to get to play at the shoe. You're going to get to play, you know, at Beaver Stadium. All those things play really well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they work out those alliance games. And when you go west, when you go east, talking from an Iowa standpoint, um, and who those matchups are against. Are they, you know, are they attractive matchups or are they just matchups? And, you know, we see that in the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, for basketball or, you know, the Gavit games. Sometimes you get, you know, sometimes you get Iowa and, um, you know, Villanova. I guess we haven't seen that yet in the Big Big East Gavit games. But you also get, like, Iowa and DePaul. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, which is what this is really close, some years you get North Carolina coming to Iowa. Unfortunately, it was during the COVID <laughs> year. But, but And then other years you're, you're going to Wake Forest or Boston College, and I went to both of those games, so, <laughs> or Clemson at home or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and basketball, football would be different. But, you know, and, and that's where the question lies for the Big Ten, more so than the other leagues, because the other leagues don't have the depth of – of interest or the, or tradition like the big 10 does. I mean, um, if you're Iowa and you're voting from, okay. If you're playing Washington or you're playing Oregon or Colorado is kind of a cool place. Or if you're going out East and you're playing a, a Clemson or Florida state, that sounds awesome. That sounds like, okay, I'm sign me up for that. But 
every team in the Big Ten isn't going to play every good team in those leagues. And so every now and then you're going to go, all right, Iowa, you've got NC State. And you're going, oh, okay. Um, should, is it better to play NC State or is it better to play Michigan State? Or is it better to play Penn State or whatever? I mean, that's where the, the question lies as the eight versus nine and which is more valuable. It's probably going to come down to TV in a lot of cases too. Is TV going to say, hey, I, the five or six or eight marquee games are so valuable, it doesn't matter that Indiana's playing Vanderbilt or, or that Illinois is playing Washington State. That You know, you can put those anywhere and that's fine. But, but we want, sign me up for Penn State USC. Or whatever, and Ohio State, Clemson, or yeah, you know Iowa, Utah would be a hell of a game, or yep. you know Washington, or um, you know, and then then there's the the last of it. This is you know <laughs> really interesting. Is how does Notre Dame figure into it? Because it's not an ACC member, but it competes against five ACC teams. Are they going to participate um, as a hangnail member? Because they are actually an auxiliary member of the Big Ten when it comes to hockey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do they? pick that up or they say yeah usc is our team every year (laughs) the alliance and call it good you know um i don't know you know so that's what makes this all fascinating to discuss and you know whether it's uh, everybody on our staff the athletic works in the big 10 you know we kind of describe what each school thinks about um and uh and then andy staples went big picture as far as uh you know what the you know, who, who, you know, they should do it on every conference. And I think the SEC is even way more complicated than the Big Ten on this. Because yeah. we're arguing about Iowa Northwestern, you know, and, well, they've got <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot more that are that are they're even crazy and high profile. Yeah, definitely check out all those stories, in-depth stories on, on The Athletic on this topic. Um, you you kind of touched on it a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, Scott, but I think – Whenever these come up, whenever the scheduling comes up for Iowa, it immediately shifts to the Cyhawk game. Well, what about, can we get rid of that? You know, you have the segment of the fan base that wants to get rid of that game. It doesn't do anything for Iowa. It's a no-win situation. You know, we know all the narratives that play into that. You know, we got four more years on the contract. Um, How do you see this affecting that series, if at all? I, I don't think it affects it at all right now. I think right now it's status quo. I know uh, they have it through 2025, and, and that's where they're kind of keeping it because the, the situation is fluid for everybody right now. And I know in talking to Gary about it previously, it's like, well, we're not necessarily saying no or yes. I mean, we we like the series. They're going to probably try to keep it, but um, – you, know, you, have to see, you have to see, sorry to interrupt, what the, happens with the Big 12, too, because, right. you know, Texas and Oklahoma leave. How strong is that league going to be with the new members? I think it's going to be pretty good, but you don't know that. Yeah, exactly. And I think they've stabilized themselves enough with Cincinnati, UCF, right. BYU, Houston. And I think they're they're probably still, you know, maybe not financially, but I think for the most part, they're going to be still considered a high level league. So yep. I don't think that's really going to hurt Iowa and to play them. Um, and, and again, it, it's, it's what administrators have to think about. It's not just 
the fans saying, well, what do we get by playing them? Well, what if you get an extra game against Oregon State instead of Iowa State? How does that feel? Oh, well, that's cool. It's, you're going to Corvallis. Well, you can do that once a year, but why twice? Um, and the loudest people scream against it. But, but the majority of people really still want to keep it, um, the Cyhawk. I, I mean, it is a big day in this state. It, uh, they sell out both those stadiums every year. I mean, this year was a top 10 matchup. So um, now Iowa State failed to live up to expectations, no question. But when you've got two teams in the top 10 playing, you can't tell me that nothing's at stake. <laughs> and it is a rivalry game. And, and this, the whole state watches this. So I, I think anybody thinking that this is just going to go away, um, there have to be a lot of factors um, before that happens. And I haven't seen anything that suggests that that's the case. And again, do you want to drop a highly emotional game against a, an in-state rival in favor of playing a Boston college or an Oregon state. Um, it's not the USC's of Florida states of the world. It's Virginia. It's Wake Forest. It's Louisville. Does that matter more? Eh, I think for a sponsored series like the Cyhawk, you know, by Iowa corn that they bring in a lot of money. I think the, the bean counters are going to say, man, that's, that's not worth it. Yeah. I can guarantee you that the uh, game day ain't showing up for Iowa at, uh, Oregon State and Corvallis. So if that one, you know, if you want to look at it, say Iowa State doesn't do anything for Iowa, um, you know, it's the last two meetings over in Ames have been high-profile, national, nationally um, relevant games. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that old argument when, you know, Iowa was running roughshod over Iowa State for all those years when Hayden was here, that's changed like the Northwestern series. Those are really competitive, intriguing games annually. Um, and it's been like that for decades now. It's not just a flash in the pan. Even, you know, you know, you, you look, that game is very highly anticipated every year. And that's important. I think uh, whenever you start to look at the age of your players and they're older than the, the previous issue, then, then all of that kind of wipes away. I mean, <laughs> whether it's Nebraska fans bragging about their five national titles, well, when none of your players were alive when you won those, you really lose the opportunity to brag about it. Uh, same thing with, uh, with the Iowa, Iowa State, you know, poundings for 15 straight years. I don't think there's a player alive for either team that was alive at that time. And if they were, they, were, um, they weren't even able to kick <laughs> yeah, so I think at some point you've got to look at it for what it is, and it is a, a somewhat high-profile rivalry game, and and you can look at it from you know from the fan Iowa point of view that we want to play all these games, but I'm also pretty privy to a lot of discussion at the national level, and people would look down upon Iowa for thinking that way, and uh, we can look at it and say, well, Iowa deserves it well. A lot of people don't think Iowa would deserve to play a USC or, or a Clemson, that it would be an uneven matchup there. So that's, so you got to kind of be careful for the, the other side of the sword here on this one. And, and, and I, I think it, overall, if they drop to eight, which I think is going to happen, and if they play um, a one alliance game a year and they're going to keep Iowa State, and I think that's probably what it's going to be in the future. And, and people can complain about it all they want, but 
you're winning those games and they matter because they are getting national television and game day has been there too. The last two times they've played. And um, so I think if I were you, I'd say, you know what, we hate them, but we like beating them more than we hate them. What's the SEC do here? Line up with uh, the the big 12 here and uh, try to match up there. Um, Not that they need anything extra. I mean, their conference games alone are, are very powerful and influential, uh, but they only play eight conference games and they can only play, you know, Louisiana Lafayette and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, those ridiculous non-conference games they play. They can only play so many of those. Well, I think they're going to continue to do what they do, except actually they're going to go to nine is, the, is what it sounds like. Oh, really? Texas okay. jump because they figure that's even With bigger. Texas and greater, Oklahoma, yeah. Yeah, greater inventory. Yeah. I mean, those ghost teams playing, that's bringing in two blue bloods and yep. that's going to be must see television. So they have nine games there. And then, uh, you know, then you do have those rivalry games against ACC teams. And uh, then there'll be some crossovers. I'm sure, you know, that a big 12 team will play or, you know, even a big 10 team, you know, Iowa may not fit in that purview, but if you're Indiana, let's say, and you're playing uh, eight big 10 games, you're playing, Wake Forest, then why not play a Kentucky or a Vanderbilt? There won't be a ban on playing those teams. Mm-hmm. But and, and to be honest with you, if you want to, if you want to say what's best for college football, the, the an alliance, the scheduling alliance between the SEC and Big Ten would be the best. I mean, yep. you want to talk about passion and can you imagine, you know, let's take the Hawkeyes going to the, see the twelfth man at, at AM. Or going to see Death Valley at night at LSU, or the Grove at Ole Miss, or the Hedges, and and likewise they're coming up here and they're they're seeing the wave and and uh, you know going to Camp Randall and jump around and I mean that would be the one that you would want to do, but I understand why they're not and it's not going to happen. But you know you just got to save it for the bowl games in Tampa and Orlando, I suppose. But um, <clears throat> But yeah, they'll, they'll, the nine games in the SEC, when Oklahoma goes on the road and they'll play at Arkansas, at Missouri, you know, at LSU or, or Auburn, and th- those are going to be must-see games too. Yeah, it seems like uh, these conferences are still cutting off their noses despite their face and throwing a tantrum over the SEC, taking Texas and Oklahoma. They're, the, the college football playoff expansion is suffering from it. Um, the, 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 as you talked about the, the potential for marquee matchups between the SEC and the big 10, uh, are suffering from it. It's just, you know, can't we all get along here and do the best <laughs> for the sport? Well, yeah. I mean, you looking at this and after a few years, it's kind of like with the ACC big 10 basketball challenge after a while, does it, you know, when you were to get some of these teams, you kind of go, oh, okay, eh, kind of shrug it off. I mean, yeah, we've, because, seen Duke, we've seen Duke and Michigan State. They play, yeah. you know, sometimes they don't, it's not even the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Sometimes it's, you know, played on an aircraft carrier uh, in mm-hmm. the middle of the, <laughs> the ocean or whatever. Well, you know, you look at it, Iowa um, with an extra game to schedule, the possibilities would be super for neutral site opportunities going to Atlanta. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you do that anyway. Maybe it's a, you know, hey, let this year go play Georgia Tech at, at the Atlanta Dome or something. And, you know, okay, that's cool. But 
you know, you wouldn't mind playing in, in Jerry World in Dallas or in Kansas City or St. Louis and, you know, Chicago or whatever. So you have all those opportunities. It's just unfortunate that, you know, you would kind of get holed in. You know, that said, it, it would be fun to go out to see a game in, in California. Go to the Rose Bowl against UCLA. I mean, yeah, sign me up. Go to Arizona in November. <laughs> yeah. No, not September, you know, stuff like that. I, I think so. I, I think it sounds fun. And the ACC and, and Pac 12 signs up for this in a heartbeat. The Big 12, Big 10, and its administrators just have to say, you know what? We're the Big 10. We're the Big F and 10. We can do what we want here. And if we want to stay at nine games and continue to play these divisions, we can. And it doesn't matter what you think. And I, I think that's what they've got to come to. Um, and I know a lot of the administrators feel that way in some ways, but then I also know that uh, they want to work together with the other two leagues. So it, it's not all finalized, but I think it, we're, we're going to see some changes for 2023. Yeah, and the college football playoff is a big component of this because you're setting your schedule up based on, am I, are there only four teams? Do we want to play eight conference games because it's that much harder to get in when there's only four teams? Are there eight mm-hmm. teams? Are there 12 teams? What's the setup? Um, to me, that almost needs to be figured out first. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what Gary said, that this is, they really want to know the system before they finalize it for 2023 because they want to know, um, again, if you're, you know, let's let's say Ohio State, that's the that's the easy de- default when it comes to the Big Ten titles. If you're and you're playing eight Big Ten games, and then you're going to play two marquee out of conference ones, you'll probably get hurt. I mean, it, you will get hurt if you lose two games. If you lose, you know, say say Iowa goes there and beats them this year, and but then they were to play a Clemson and they lose a close game there. Again, there hasn't been a two loss team make the fourteen playoffs. Yep. But if you're in a 12-team playoff and the top four conference champions all receive a bye, if you're an 11-2 and two Ohio State, you're going to be one of those top four teams. So it doesn't matter. That That's where the question lies, I think, for, um, you know, for, for the league. And I think that's where maybe the pressure is applied. Get this figured out. You know, and Jim Phillips, you're, you used to be one of us. You know, you're with the, the ACC. Get it figured out. Kevin Warren, you are one of us. You represent us. Um, you've had your issues, your struggles, but get this figured out so we can move on and be the Big Ten because we, that's what we are and that's what we were under Jim. Yeah, no doubt. It'll be fascinating to see how this all plays out and how it impacts Iowa. Um, things are going to change. It's just a matter of what will change and uh, how it impacts Iowa. Um, the good thing to know as an Iowa fan is Iowa's in – a pretty good, powerful position being in the league that it's in. Um, it's not going to, it's not going to get worked by the system. Um, it'll be fine at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's been fine. You know, I mean, you could argue that the big 10 West is made for Iowa. <laughs> yeah, You're playing every team on your border in the league and Purdue, which might as well be um, you have, you know, either, ancient rivalries with all of these teams and series and they're all within driving distance and then there's nebraska which has really grown and i think eventually will become kind of one of those marquee games uh, so you have that and then you have the eastern teams which you can play with some regularity and um 
you still have your in-state rivalry game. And really the, the one, the only problem I think I've had, you know, I'm looking at Iowa is just a little bit of a lack of variety in your schedule. You, you want that one, once in a while you want to play that game that just kind of reaches out there like, yeah, let's go to Texas and play in Jerry world to kick off the season against A&M uh, or Atlanta and maybe play South Carolina and Atlanta. You know, now it'd be the ACC or Pac-12. Yeah, that's still pretty cool. I, I think they should go with that. So, Yep. Fascinating for sure. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this as well. Um, I think I'm going to table the depth chart question to next week, Scott. We're about an hour and a half into this puppy. And uh, that's probably a good place to stop. And that'll give us something to kind of have as meat of next week's podcast. Um, and we'll talk about tonight's uh, we'll review tonight's Purdue game and then the Penn State game on Monday for men's basketball, the Penn State-Iowa duel, update where the Iowa women are at next week as well. Um, but uh, we'll wrap up the conversation this week there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, and Scott and I will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott.